Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 13. As we come to final instructions for the recipients of this book. Father, as we come to your word, we ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. As we look into these practical matters, as, as the, the way that we live out our faith and live out the theology and all the richness that we've seen in, in the, the chapters of this letter, would you give us the, the humility to acknowledge where, where we fail and where we miss the mark and the, the desire to honor you in everything that we do to grow consistently in our faith, in our faithful obedience to you. We come to be taught today. We come to be tutored today in how to be more like Jesus. And we ask for your help. And in your holy name we pray. Amen. Uh, People often say that theology is hard, but theology is nothing compared to actually living like a Christ follower. We all know how easy it is to, to basically be a functional hypocrite, confessing biblical truth, but living as though that wasn't true, living as though something else was true. We want to be like the man, the woman that James talks about when he says, be doers of the word and not merely hearers who are self-deluded and so the letter to the Hebrews ends with some practical instructions for a life of faithful obedience. A faithful obedience matters. I can give you a few reasons, and I'm sure you have reasons of your own. Uh, when we are not faithfully obedient, we lose the blessing God gives for faithful obedience. When we are not faithfully obedient, our lives are indistinguishable from the unsaved world. We're no longer the, the city set on a hill. We're just the hill. When we are not faithfully obedient, our faith stagnates. And stagnant faith is eventually overwhelmed by the pain and the suffering of the world. And, and all, we, all we're left with in this life is fear and insecurity. And most important, when we refuse to be faithfully obedient, we may be revealing that we are still in a state of sinful rebellion and we're not actually saved. I don't want any of us to lose God's blessing. I certainly want us to stand out as the light of the world. I want us to be prepared for the the pains to come and the suffering to come. And I want each one of us to know that our salvation is real. And that's why we come to this chapter. So let's read these nine verses and then look at them more carefully. Let love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember the prisoners, as though in prison with them, and those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves also are in the body. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. 
so that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. These instructions begin with love in the first three verses. And that's not a surprise. None of us should be surprised that it begins with love. God is love. And Jesus directly commanded us to love one another. So he begins with the simple phrase, let love of the brethren continue. That is love Christians. Love those who are are the church. Love those in your congregation. Love those in your fellowship. Love those Christians in your community. Uh, Love is often a challenge. Some people are easy to love. Some people are hard to love. I can certainly be hard to love. That's why we're given a command. And that's why Jesus means what he says, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The world, he says, loves itself. We are to love those who are unlovely. But the Lord wants us to extend that love beyond our familiar relationships, our close relationships, the relationships with the people immediately around us. And so he goes on in verse 2 to say, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Hospitality is literally in the Greek text, love of strangers. So this is not make sure that you give somebody something to drink and a snack and the, the house is a comfortable temperature for them. This is show love to strangers. These strangers are Christians. That's the context that we have, is that these strangers are Christians. When the book of Hebrews was written, the church was under significant persecution, and it was getting worse. It was common for the Roman government or for local cities to simply drive Christians out. They were thrown out of their homes. They were thrown out of whatever businesses they had. They, their possessions were confiscated, and they're just kicked down the road. And when they arrive into that next town, what do they do? Well, God willing, there were Christians in that town who said, come with me. You have a place. Come with me. We have what you need. Opening your heart and homes to strangers takes more from you than loving people that you know. But it's a command that we need to be prepared to obey. But besides, he says, uh, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. And he's speaking there of Abraham and Lot in Genesis chapter 18 and chapter 19. The point is not that there are angels wandering around our world looking for a handout. The point is that sometimes by reaching out to somebody in need, you find out that they meet a need that you have that's an even greater need, a deeper need. And that happens because the body of Christ is this this organism that has been constructed by the Lord Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit as he knit us together. Some of you have have had the opportunity to travel. Linda and I have had the opportunity a, a couple of times to travel overseas. We were in South Africa 
and Malawi and Zambia, and then we were in China. And in each of those places, we met Christians that, that we didn't know, Chinese Christians who don't speak a, a word of English, and somebody else has to translate. And as you speak to them, as you share life with them, as they share with you, you find that you have the same father. You find that you're related. And so showing hospitality to strangers becomes significant. The Lord isn't done talking about love. He goes on in verse 3 to say, Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them and those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves also are in the body. Again, these are Christians, not inmates in general. That's why he's got that phrase there, you yourselves are also in the body. Uh, These prisoners are in the body. They're people imprisoned for being Christians. Is there anything wrong with reaching out to people in jail or prison for crimes they've committed? No, we, we should do that, and we do that through angel tree. The rescue mission has, uh, has uh, entrance into jails in the, in the area, and I praise God for that. But that's not the meaning here. The meaning here is that there are Christians who have been imprisoned because they're Christians. And we must not forget them. Now, I'm really grateful that in the United States, as of today... There's nobody in in prison because they're a Christian. There are Christians in prison, but they're not there because they're a Christian. But we have many, many brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering today and imprisoned because of their faith. And I I want to trace something here. This is the webpage for Open Doors USA. And I know it's hard to see, but I'm clicking on the ACT button. We'll see how quickly it responds here. And here's a place that you can take action. You can pray, you can volunteer, you can write a letter, you can advocate, you can donate. I'm going to click on write a letter. I've done this several times this week, and I'm amazed at how quickly it is. So they give you some options, stand with Indians like Manoj, encourage Indians like Rita. This story particularly is about young Christian women in India who are being forced into marriages to Hindus by their families. Support Indians like Ashok, who's a brave evangelist in the face of threats. Send messages of hope to Iraq and Syria. Strengthen and imprison believers in Iran. I'm going to click on read more. And it's not actually bringing up any space to write in there. I've done this several times this, this week. You put in your first name, your last name, your email address, and write a note. Write a note of encouragement. My brother or sister in Christ, I want you to know I'm praying for you today. I don't know your circumstances. I don't know what you're suffering but I know that Jesus is sufficient, and I'm praying that your faith stands firm. I'm praying that your guards would be open to the gospel and that you would have an opportunity to share Christ with them. And I look forward to seeing you in heaven. And, then, and that's all. And then you click the send button. There isn't one there, but you click the send button, and it's off. I've donated $5 a couple of times to open doors. Voice of the Martyrs has a similar type of uh, setup where you can go to write. 
you want to write somebody in India, they actually have a, a, a very large drop-down menu, and you can go, go construct a letter from phrases that they have or verses that they have, and then you print the letter, and you have the English, but you also have their local language, and then it's a dollar or two to, to print it, put it in an envelope, address it, and send it off to them. I assume that Open Doors USA is doing the translation. We don't have people in the United States who are Christians in prison because they're Christians that we can go see. But we can pray for and reach out to those around the world. Next week is the International Day of Prayer for the the suffering church, which is most of us. That's most of us in Christ. Before we move on, I want, you to, I want to remind you that loving others is not breaking into unknown territory. Jesus has already loved his own perfectly and completely. We're not commanded to blaze a trail where no one has ever gone before. We're called to love those whom Jesus loves. That's what loving the brethren means. We don't have to search for reasons to love somebody. It's enough that Jesus loves them. We don't have to dig deep within ourselves and find some inner source of love. We can draw on the love of the Holy Spirit for them. We were meeting with a couple yesterday, and it, and it struck me yesterday. We, uh, we were at Perkins, and uh, it, it struck me that a waiter in a restaurant doesn't make the food. They just deliver it. You're not required to make love for somebody else or to create it for somebody else. You're going to take the love that Jesus has and deliver it. You're just a waiter. You're just the one bringing it to them. Well, God is love. God is also holy. And so there are instructions given about holiness. Holiness is always specific. It's never an abstract. And so what we have here are are two brief instructions regarding holiness in marriage and holiness with money. Holiness with marriage is found in in verse 4. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Marriage has its roots in creation. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God unapologetically made the man Adam first, and then he made Eve as a helper suitable for Adam. From a rib taken from Adam's side, the Lord fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. It's significant that God didn't just make Eve and then leave her in the garden and just wait for them to kind of stumble across each other. But that when he made Eve, he brought her to Adam. I don't know if that's where the custom of the father walking the bride down the aisle comes from. But certainly God the father has chosen a people as a bride for his son and has presented those people to his son. Eve was made for Adam. They were a perfect match for one another. He was also made for her. Adam immediately received Eve as part of himself. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken 
out of man. And then Moses adds a comment in Genesis 2.24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife who has left her father and mother, and they shall become one flesh. What that means is that this one flesh relationship, this unique relationship, was not special to Adam and Eve. It's what God intends for all mankind. One man, one woman, one flesh, forever. As long as life lasts. And so we're reminded that we've got to hold marriage in honor and keep the marriage bed undefiled. Our culture despises marriage. It despises marriage. Entertainment proves that. The way people live their lives proves that. Marriage is just one of many options that are available to people. The idea of a long-term commitment is rare. The idea of a lifetime commitment is extraordinarily rare in our culture at large. So we who are in Christ must stand against that thinking and honor the gift of marriage and what its purpose is. As a one flesh union, he speaks about fornication and adultery. As a one flesh union, that union is a sexual union. There's no other way to understand that. And it ties right in with God's first command to mankind, which is be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. It's not, a, it's not a spiritual union. It's not a philosophical union. It's a union of the bodies. Well, fornication makes a mockery of that and says everything that God has and everything that God intends for marriage, I don't want. I only want this moment of pleasure and this moment of satisfaction. And adultery treats it with contempt and destroys it. And so God judges those who treat the, that blessed one flesh union of marriage with contempt and dishonor. In Genesis chapter 20, Abraham has gone with his wife toward the west and Abimelech saw her and Abraham said she's my sister and so Abimelech took her into his home and then the Lord came to Abimelech in a dream and said you are as good as a dead man because the woman you have is married see God defends marriage God doesn't come to everybody who commits fornication or adultery and say you're under my judgment but they are they are so devote yourself to the Lord's commands as to your, your role. If you're single, don't commit fornication. You're not only sinning against your, yourself, the Bible says, you're sinning against your future spouse if you do marry. And if you're married, don't commit adultery. Instead, honor and love your spouse. We are also to be holy regarding money. We read, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? You know, these verses talk about money, but they really aren't about money. They're the way that our faith in Christ shapes our character and determines our character. It seems that when persecution comes against the church, remember that's the context of much of Hebrews, when persecution comes against the church, it seems that it always begins with money and wealth and homes and possessions and your living. 
possessions are stolen or burned or confiscated. Christians get fired from jobs because they are Christians, or they don't get hired in the first place, and so they can't earn money to live. A business owner won't bow to the culture, and so she is harassed and sued and fined out of business, and she loses her source of income. The time is upon us now when a young Christian who is clear about their commitment to Jesus Christ and biblical truth will not get into certain universities. That's happening now. That's not 10 years or 20 years in the future. Just recently, I think it was last week, Beto O'Rourke, a Democrat presidential candidate, said that any churches or groups that don't agree with homosexuality should lose their tax-exempt status. The message there is if donations aren't tax-deductible, nonprofits will lose funding and be forced to close. See, persecution often begins with money and possessions and stuff. Because money is so central to life, any threat to money or possessions or our security in that way gets our attention very, very quickly. Will you take a bold stand for Christ? Most people will say yes. What if it costs you your job? And most people stand back and say, I'm not sure. Well, I have an idea. Let's not wait until we face that kind of challenge. Let's begin today with obedience and make sure that our character is free from the love of money. How do we do that? He tells us we keep reminding ourselves of the promise of God. God has said, I will never desert you nor will I ever forsake you. He's promised that. Back in the the 1910s and the 1920s, the Marx Brothers were fabulously famous, extraordinarily successful as vaudeville act before they ever got into films. Groucho especially was very frugal. He wasn't really stingy, but he was very frugal. He was very careful with his money. But somebody one day convinced him that a good investment would be the stock market. And so he put everything he had in the stock market. That was mid-1929. And a few months later, the, the market crash hit, and he lost everything. One of the reasons that the Marx Brothers made their movies is because they were broken in debt. Groucho's money deserted him. It forsook him. God says, I will never desert you. I will never forsake you. We have to find our comfort there. When we do, we say, the Lord is my helper. I won't be afraid. What can man do to me? Now, within the context there, that woman who owns the florist shop, who refuses to do do flowers for a homosexual wedding who's harassed and sued and driven out of business, her, her response is not of terror, one of terror and fear. Her response is, what can man do to me? God will provide for me. God will meet my needs. The Lord will never leave me or forsake me. God's grace is such that we can live in immaturity and disobedience. And when that crisis hits, we might find ourselves lifted up in, in full disclosure, when our son Kevin was born with, with spina bifida, Lynn and I were not living the kind of Christian life that deserved the support of the Father. We were immature, fleshly, disobedient, self-willed. 
we did not deserve to be lifted up and supported. But he lifted us up and supported. And, and we kept our faith and we kept our relationship and we grew in him. But what we learned is don't wait. Don't wait for the crisis to say, now I need to grow. Now I need a stable foundation. Do that before you need that. So we're to, live, or we're to love according to the command of, of Christ. We're to be holy in our conduct, especially in marriage and how we view money and possessions. And then finally, we are to endure. Remember those who led you, he says, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the faith of their conduct, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings. It is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods. Hebrews, again, was written at a time of persecution. There was often strong pressure to compromise for the sake of safety or or survival, but we're commanded to endure. We're commanded to remain faithful. How do we do that? Well, the first thing that he says is, remember those who led you, and the context would say those who brought you to Christ, those who impacted you as a young Christian. Remember, Remember them? Think of the people who impacted you. You might have trusted the Lord at a very young age. You might have been a little bit older as I was. Think about the people who shared Christ with you. You can, you can picture some of their faces. I can still see the face of my, my first pastor, Pastor Jack. Who was He had to be old. I know he was old. Because his, his son, I, I was 18, his son was 20 and newly married, so Jack had to be at least 40. And I can still remember his face, and I, and I look at the result of his conduct, consider the result of their conduct. You know, one of the results of the conduct of that, those people that you can remember is your salvation. Those who spoke the gospel to you, those who shared Christ with you, those who prayed for you, those who encouraged you, your salvation is one result of that conduct. Now, what that means is that you can, you can go back to the Lord Jesus Christ and start with him and then go to one of, the, one of his apostles and you can begin person by person. And at the end of that chain is you. There's a direct human chain between the Lord Jesus Christ and you. Can I just say, don't be the end of the chain? Don't break the chain. Pray for those who don't know the Lord. Ask for opportunities to share. Share what you can when you can. So that maybe in 5 or 10 or 20 years, another believer, a younger believer, comes across this passage and they, it says, remember those who, who led you and they think of your face. Don't be the end of the chain. Imitate those who have come before and endure. Remember, second, remember the unchangeable nature of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. So his word never changes, and the gospel never changes. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and active. So the word in your hands today is that word. When it says the word of God is living and active, the word in your hands is that word. 
when it says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the Jesus you trust today is that Jesus. He hasn't changed. Get yourself rooted into the historical reality of what it means to be a Christian. Not loaded up with tradition. I've been clear. I'm not a huge fan of tradition. I think tradition gets squirrely awfully quick. But there is a tradition that says I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to trust the Lord. And I'm going to do the best that I can to live in holiness and to live in love. And we're able to do that because Jesus never changes. And because Jesus never changes, third, don't let yourself get carried away by varied and strange teachings. Now, the word carried away there doesn't mean getting excited. It means being moved. A ship at sea whose anchor slips gets carried away by the waves. Don't get moved. Don't be led astray by varied and strange teachings. Strange teachings here, the word doesn't mean weird. It means foreign. It means different. It means new. See, there's nothing new. The Word of God is living and alive. Jesus is living and alive. We strengthen ourselves in grace, not by the foods that we eat, which didn't benefit those who were so occupied by following those laws. We're strong in grace and the unchanging, ever-powerful mercies of God in Jesus Christ who never ever changes and we heard of him through that person. There were several people who shared the gospel with me, my sister, her husband, others. I didn't hear it very many times. And and in all honesty, I don't I can't say I heard it really well. I came to Christ with all kinds of unanswered questions, but I came to Christ. And I came to Christ because they were faithful. Were they perfect? No. Did they get it all right? No. But they were faithful. Be faithful. If you need strengthening today, don't look for something new and exciting that no one's ever heard of before. It'll be wrong. If you need strengthening for today, look back to those who led you, who, who stuck it out and who were faithful and impacted your life. Imitate their faith. Look especially to the Lord Jesus, who is the same today and yesterday and forever. Don't let go of the truth and end up being led in some foolish direction. As we think about bringing this home, this whole chapter is really bringing it home. So there isn't much to say. Let me just review this. Love the Christians around you because Jesus loves them, and that's enough. When you meet believers that you've never met before, love them, especially if you meet them during a time of crisis and loneliness in their lives. The Lord has brought them across your path for a reason. And just keep in the back of your mind that in five minutes, you can go to opendoorsusa.org and send a letter to somebody who thinks nobody is thinking about them. Be holy in marriage and with your possessions. Honor marriage as the precious gift of God the Father. Protect it. Protect its sanctity and its holiness by keeping yourself from sexual sin. Don't fall in love with stuff. Keep yourself free from 
the love of money and trust in the Lord to keep you. And be faithful. Endure. Don't be the last link in the chain. Pray for others to know him and pray that you can share the gospel as he gives you opportunity. Jesus never ever changes. So find your comfort in him and your rest in him and his unchanging word. Don't let new strange teachings cause you to drift from the biblical historic faith. Be strong in the grace of God. Endure. Father, we thank you. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to build us and continue to encourage us. Grant us your favor and help us in our need and help us in our weakness. We thank you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.